Live from London, this is The Afternoon Show with Jane Manzoni. Hello and thank you for listening in to Edu Chat and Cocktails on Teachers Talk Radio this afternoon. I hope you're enjoying your afternoon wherever you are. I am Jane Manzoni and this is still November, but let's face it, the shops think it's Christmas, so we might as well go with it. I've got my second Christmas cocktail for you in just a minute, plus three fabulous guests. Live from London, this is The Afternoon Show with Jane Manzoni on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello again. Hello, Tom. Tom's just said afternoon. Um, and Toby's just called in. That was very efficient of you, Toby. I'm glad you're there waiting. Uh, so my guests today are Toby Paincook, Rob Crossley and Caroline Verdant. I hope that's how I say your name, Caroline. Up first is Toby. Toby worked as a scientist in industry for 17 years, including Pfizer, which we've all heard of now. He did a PGCE aged 41 in 2013 and has since taught science, maths, philosophy. Oh, someone else is calling in. Science, maths, philosophy and cricket to nine to 13 year olds. He's currently head of science at an independent prep school in Kent. Oh, I'm going to have to mute you. Sorry, that person. I think that's my second speaker. Uh, sorry, Toby spoke at New Voices this year, so we'll be hearing all about that talk in a bit. My second guest is Caroline Verdant. She also spoke at New Voices this year. She's a teacher at St Anthony's Catholic Primary School in Newham, so my London neighbour. She's a community activist and leader, inspiring women to be themselves and find their voices and a good work-life balance. She co-hosted the Living Wage Week launch, which looked pretty cool on Twitter. Maybe she'll tell me a bit more about that later. And lastly, I have Rob Crossley. Rob has taught in Tottenham, Mayfair and Openshaw, Openshaw in primary schools. That's quite diverse neighbourhoods. He is in his second year at the moment as a member of SLT and he started his NPQSL, which I had to look up, National Professional Qualification for Senior Leadership this year. I mean, I've been a senior lead for many years, but I've never looked into one of those. So I might ask him all about it. Uh, I think he's enjoying it. So maybe it is a good thing to do. Rob loves kids' books, but I think we might disagree on a certain nameless series of books with a small wizard protagonist. Now, before I talk to Toby, my cocktail of the week is a black Russian. I did find this on a list of Christmas cocktails, but looking at the ingredients now, I can't see anything particularly Christmassy in it. Anyway, I'm going to go with it now. This cocktail is made with vodka and a coffee liqueur like Kahlua, and Coke, which seems optional, so I'm not going to put the Coke in my one. You can do it with crushed ice. I guess it depends how strong you like your cocktails. I much prefer my cocktails stronger, so I'm not going to put Coke in it. And it's garnished with a maraschino cherry. I do love Kahlua, although I can't stand espresso martinis. I also love cherries, so this is pretty much the perfect cocktail for me. Incidentally, Kahlua is made with rum, sugar and coffee. I had to look that up. So this is a cocktail with vodka and rum in it. Now you make your, your black Russian quite simply. Two ounces of vodka, four ounces of Kahlua or your coffee liqueur of choice. 
and crushed ice. You mix the vodka and coffee liqueur in your cocktail shaker with the crushed ice. Shake for 30 seconds. Pour out the liquid, not the ice. Pour in your martini glass and top with the cherry. Yum. Now, I'm not sure what cocktails I'm going to be drinking later, but I can guarantee you I will be. Maybe I will tweet you a picture. Now, hopefully, Toby will be on because he had a problem with his earphones. Yeah, I'm here. Hello. (laughs) I'm going to put that foot on and then I'll talk to you, Toby, okay? (laughs) Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programs to help you? Read, write, ink phonics, floppies phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Okay, I've got Tom here telling me to turn my volume down. I hope that's okay, Tom. Toby, are you still there? Let's hope so. I, I am, yes. Can you hear me okay? I can, but I never know what the sound quality is like for everybody else because I've got earphones on and Tom's just well, said yes, it's good all round. Good. I'm very oh, excited because okay. I have my new headphones. As you know, I have had to go and buy some headphones this morning because my iPhone is very commitment. dodgy. It is commitment, yeah. I'm going to well, use them again at yeah, some point. Thank you. <laughs> Hopefully you will. Hopefully not just for this. All right, so Toby, um, let's talk about cocktails. What cocktail have you got for me this well, afternoon? I have given it a bit for I'm not now I'm not a big cocktail drinker. I'm, I think I'm quite a good drinker. I like I like a pint of Guinness or lots of red wine, particularly Malbec. Um I you you've got a criteria about cocktails that I found out a couple of weeks ago that you um think that a cocktail has to have more than three three or more ingredients. So I can't have a whiskey mac, which is just Scotch whiskey and um Stone's ginger wine. So I've gone for an Irish coffee, an Irish coffee. And I'm going to relate this to a teacher. So uh, an Irish coffee contains cream, double cream. So it's creamy and rich in knowledge and experience. I think it's essential that a good teacher is creamy, not creamy, sorry, is rich in both (laughs) knowledge and and experience. Okay. Um, And so um, that's, that's the cream element of it. Then, of course, an Irish coffee contains coffee. And I think um, coffee makes us a bit wired. It makes us a bit sleepless. And this is quite common to lots of teachers. Uh, I also think that um, the teaching profession, education tends to attract those, not not universally, but people of a slight nervous disposition. And coffee can be related to, to that as well. So you can get the jitters a little bit. So the coffee element of it is that. Um, an Irish coffee is obviously very dark in in colour, so it's sort of darkly mysterious. And I think education is more about the dark arts than than science. Although we seem to be increasingly sort of scienceifying education, but um, I think it's it's very open to interpretation. And so I think that the dark colour of it um, represents the sort of 
that teaching is more of an art than a science, in my opinion, and I am a scientist, so that's quite interesting. Um, and um, also the darkness, the dark arts bit, uh, teaching is incredibly psychologically challenging, I think. So we often have quite a lot of dark nights of the soul um, relating to our, our the important jobs that we do. Um, finally, of course, the most important ingredient is the Irish whiskey. And this is heartwarming. This is warming for the soul. And I think a great teacher is generally a warm-hearted person. It's, it's a very heartwarming job. Uh, it's a joyful job. It can't, and so I think that's the important part. But, of course, if you drink a bit too much of it, drink a bit too much of teaching, um, it can become very intoxicating um, and sort of stress you out and take over your life a little bit too much. So that's my cocktail linked to a teacher. Amazing. That was incredibly well thought out. Do you know, I wrote a blog <laughs> once where I said that there was more uh, shaman than showman to teaching. So that was your dark arts bit. I do agree with you there. It's certainly an art. It's a very psychologically demanding, um, manipulative oh. art, I think. I think, well, you do. You have to manipulate your students in the nicest possible way to get them to behave. Who wants to be sitting, listening to one person for five hours a day in a primary school? You have to make them want to be there. Otherwise, you're going to have a hell of a time, aren't you? So, yeah, I agree with you. And I thought that was incredibly well thought out, Toby. Well done. Uh, there's me being a teacher. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulating you on your cocktail. Okay, so my next question was... <laughs> Uh, what drew you into teaching? Because you went into it really late. You were a scientist, weren't you? So why did you think I don't yes. yeah, I, so I mean, anymore? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, it was a big change. So I, I have been interested in education for quite a long time. So I, I became, I was an accidental scientist, really. Maybe talk about the science stuff separately a bit later if there's time. But uh, I um, was in industry for... 16 17 years and including 10 years with Pfizer back when it was famous for a different V to the vaccine it's now famous for um and uh we probably won't talk about too much about that that V that Pfizer was famous for back then um and so but ultimately I had compulsory redundancy from Pfizer they were reorganizing in 2011 and I have actually thought about voluntary redundancy um, going into teaching in 2009, um, but didn't quite make it on a sort of GTP, you know, school direct thing. Um, I was think I was second choice. And then um, after Pfizer, at the end of Pfizer, I didn't go straight into teaching. I, I had done a lot of career stuff in schools. I enjoyed going into, into secondary schools, um, speaking with sometimes year 10s, but more often year 12s, um, sixth formers, about careers in science, about chemistry, about the development of medicines and what I, what I did. And I always loved going into schools um, through, through, the, through the noughties, I suppose, in, in, in sort of between 2000 and 2010. And uh, I kind of quite enjoyed entering what it felt like the real world. So, so, but then when I actually left Pfizer, when I was made redundant, I went become a STEM director, director of a small uh, educational charity um, in Hertfordshire, and as a sort of promoting STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, and schools on paper, it was the ideal job for me because it sort of fused my industry experience, my experience of science, 
with promoting you know its importance in schools and and kind of you know visiting schools and getting engineers and scientists into schools and on paper it was great but in reality i absolutely hated it so it was it was all government targets and you know how many box ticks we can we do how many engineers can we get into schools and and it was just i, I didn't like it it was too administrative and stuff so then i had a a rethink um and, and um lived off my redundancy which was quite nice from Pfizer for a little bit and then I thought you know what actually I really do want to teach I had kids what two children probably at that point no three at primary school well the youngest one probably wasn't quite at primary school at that stage um and I became a school governor a primary school governor a parent governor and was quite interested in in education and and you know love well, I love young children and their enthusiasm and joy. So I kind of just decided to enroll for a PGCE um, at Canterbury Christchurch. But I chose a 7 to 14 um, PGCE, which is quite rare um, because, of course, my deep science background. But I knew from very early on um, when I decided that I didn't want to um, teach GCSE science. I didn't even really want to teach A-level chemistry either. I'm a, I'm a chemist. And and I love my scientists know more and more about less and less. So I can tell you everything you want to know about the amorphous properties of pharmaceutical powders or sort of differential scanning calorimetry or mass spectrometry, really niche fields of science. But, you know, kind of even, even most of the A-level curriculum in, in chemistry wasn't used in my job. Um, and I'm not a big believer in teaching everybody everywhere fundamental principles of science up to 16 and then examining them in it and comparing their ability to remember the structure of the atom and covalent bonding. And so I thought, I just don't want to teach secondary science, really. So, But, but I thought I might want to teach it. So that's why I did the 7 to 14 science specialism um, and, and then um, got into teaching. And I had a placement in a I talk rather fast and I talk quite a lot so if you need to interrupt me Jane do do interrupt me no no I'm just listening okay Toby. okay um just listening just listening so I think um when I started the PGCE my aspiration at that point so this is September 2013 um my aspiration was to perhaps to become a primary head teacher, you know, in that kind of stereotypical, I'm a bloke, I've got quite a lot of life experience, um, I'm going to be a head teacher of a primary school. And that was my intent when I started the course. Had a placement in a secondary school in science, and that confirmed my suspicions that I just didn't really want to teach a load of GCSE science to, you know, a lot of children who don't really want to learn all the stuff they're asked to learn. And so that confirmed me. So then I had a placement in a primary school, a really leafy, lovely, very, very um, great primary school with a great, great bunch of teachers in Kent. But I didn't get on very well with my mentor. I'm quite irritating and I'm quite, uh, you know, I kind of had all the talk but not the walk. And she just didn't like having having a sort of experience person with a lot of life experience and a lot of sort of previous experience in her classroom, I don't think. So that rather put me off primary teaching, um, unfortunately, because I think that's what I should be doing, really. Um, but so I then um, applied to work in an independent prep school 
um, which is uh, goes up to 13. So it ends at the end of year eight. Um, and it means I get to teach science, and I did teach some maths um, from year five. Um, so we teach in sort of subject specialisms from year five instead of from year seven. Um, and so, which is great because I just love upper key stage two and lower key stage three. I think that's when children are there, perhaps they're, that, you know, the adolescent thing hasn't really kicked in properly and they're kind of open-minded and curious and they're sort of primed for learning and you can do a lot with them also i am incredibly posh um apparently according to everyone who knows me um outside of my posh world the people who know me from the kind of posh world um would say that i'm not that posh anymore but i was privately school educated myself my mother is a lovely human being but she's a terrible terrible snob so my whole life until i went to university existed in this sort of seven percent microcosm of the of the world um and um it was sort of normal to me i suppose from an educational perspective to go and teach in an independent school and so i kind of that's why i chose that and um are they boys no boys and girls it's co-ed um and it's co-ed and it's in kent which is very interesting because kent is universally grammar um in principle in absolute principle and i'm not saying this because I'm speaking to you, and I know that anyone who's listening is is most likely to be a um, state sector teacher. Um, it, in principle, I would have no grammar schools and I'd have no independent schools. But in practice, that isn't the world we're in, right? So, so as I've got older, uh, you know, I'm 49 now. I've kind of come to terms with the fact that that the world is imperfect and always will be imperfect, and that you've got to kind of work somewhere and belong somewhere that that makes you feel happy and needed, even though um, maybe changing the world is is a noble aim. And I'd love to kind of change the world quite in quite a, a great many ways, but um, I haven't succeeded in doing it or or put myself in a position where I can do it really so so I'm kind of just quite happy doing what I do I had the conversation about private versus state sector with Zoe I think and in the end we just decided children are children and you do end up finding your your niche as a teacher I tried to work in a private school I, I went for a couple of interviews and it was just clear I wouldn't really have fitted in there and I don't know whether that's sad or okay that you you gravitate towards perhaps things which um, you can be most comfortable and most efficient and maybe have the most impact with your students because perhaps they relate to you more. I don't know, something to think about. Yeah. I, part, part of me wanted to teach at a really elite private school just because um, – I wanted to see if you know, like how the other half were educated in a way, and then maybe come back to state and bring bring some some ideas back with me. Never stay there, but I don't think I'd ever get a job in any of those schools. I applied to Westminster Chorister School and a few others, you know, and I was not even shortlisted. And I th- I think maybe um, I might not have been qualified, but also I don't think I would have fitted in particularly. It's a bit sad, anyway. I think I think uh, like, it's a bit like it's gone. Sorry. No, I was going to ask you the next question because this interview isn't really yeah. about me; it's about you. So um, it was really. I'm going to skip because you did talk a long time about your way into teaching. I'm going to skip what you change because perhaps that will come into the next question, which was about okay. your new your new voices talk because that's obviously your passion, the thing you chose to spoke to speak about. 
So how about you tell me? Um, I missed it. I missed practically everybody's yeah. talk at New Voices. What what was that all about? <laughs> Well, I had, I had a small but perfectly formed audience, so um, uh, it was great. I really loved it. I think I think about seven people came and listened to my. Now, I think I really I really like teaching within you know the mainstream sector. I, I'm totally kind of fine, mostly with with what goes on in schools and what we're asked to teach. Um, but I do think it could be better. And so my talk was called "From Wonder to Whatever." Um, have we got science education completely wrong? And I think the problem that I've got um, is that I spent 17 years doing science, being a scientist. And um, in, just, just briefly on that, if you're a scientist in industry, I was a project scientist, so I was doing practical work in the lab some of the time, but most of it's automated and stuff. So a lot of it's in discussions, in meetings, um, you know, writing reports, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say that of my time in industry, probably only about 10%, 10 to 20% was doing science. There was an awful lot of maths and statistics and and a hell of a lot of drinking coffee and um, but the, the kind of offline meetings, you know, the kind of chats with senior people and fellow scientists over coffee, it, you know, was where all the business was done, really. And so, so my kind of, and and so I think um, when I in teaching, I one of my talk was really about was about that, you know, there's two things that go on in education, in science education at the moment. There's, I'd say we have a top-down, and this applies to all subjects, a top-down, basically academically-driven school curriculum. So, so and this, this has always been the case. So we've got, you know, we've got some very highfalutin universities that have lots of science degrees and science courses and, and science-based courses like medicine and so forth and engineering and all that sort of stuff. And then those courses demand those universities demand uh, um quite a lot of knowledge to be acquired in those disciplines at a level if you're going to make it onto those courses and then those a levels or or international baccalaureate if you if you're at a you know school that does that which a few schools do um but mostly a levels those then a levels demand quite strong foundations in the sciences you know grade seven eight nine in in modern speak at, at gcse and the GCSE science curriculum is full of, yes, it's kind of made testable and it's diluted a bit and it's made accessible, but it is full of fundamental physics, chemistry and biology, stuff that is um, gets applied and deepened later on. And so that means the key stage three curriculum in science is also quite heavy and quite meaty. And then so so that's the whatever, because, you know, you, the whatever people go into their secondary school, and it might be quite exciting in year seven going into a real lab and, and using a Bunsen burner or a microscope and doing some quite practical work with some quite, you know, it's quite exciting to begin with. But once you get into about year, halfway through year eight into year nine, then you're just bombarded with all this like stuff to learn, which I obviously find a lot of it fascinating. You know, the, the structure of the atom and chemical bonding and concentration, molar concentration and stuff in chemistry. But it's pretty alien for and pretty abstract for most people. And and it's not applicable to normal day-to-day -day life. It's not really applicable to decision-making. It's only applicable to being very successful university challenge panel panelist or 
going on to become an academic scientist um, or an engineer or a medic. And so, so that's, but yet in primary schools and um, in the media, um, science is this big, exciting, wonderful thing. And it is wonderful and fascinating. And most young children and most primary school teachers love teaching or learning about space and stuff like this. And science is big, exciting and wonderful. So science kind of moves from this wonder to whatever. Um, and I don't think any subject changes in the sort of public subconscious more than science because you know a lot of children wrongly or rightly find maths a bit of a drag at school some children find english a bit of a drag at school um some children love english at school all the way through some children love maths or the humanities or whatever all the way through at school whereas science most young children kind of love the experience of it love learning about the big fascinating stuff but then they really don't love that meaty stuff so that's the kind of top-down education system that we kind of have. Now, a lot of people might think that I, being an ex-former scientist in industry, might like the alternative top-down approach, which is the utilitarian approach, you know, where you've got the STEM stuff. And, you know, we there's a huge investment in the STEM subjects and how we need, because this is the economically driven part of sort of education, how, you know, we need lots of medics, we need lots of biotechnologists, we need lots of engineers, we need lots of digital sort of software designers and technologists. So so therefore, we try to excite young children by having Lego robotics days, or, or pretend to be an engineer day aged eight or age 11 or age, you know, 14 or something. And that's, that's great. But actually, we should be using scientists and engineers and stuff from industry um, or, or academia to kind of broaden young children's and their teachers' minds about the possibilities of science. But I don't think we should be sort of thinking that engineering is more important or, or physics is more important than French or history. I think that's absolutely terrible. I know that all the scientists I worked with, uh, a lot of the scientists I worked with in industry, their favourite subject at school was history. And if you're going to be a great research scientist, actually I would argue that history and English are just as fundamental as, as um, A-level in an A-level in chemistry or biology because, you know, you need to be able to read and disseminate information and analyse information and and the humanities and English teach you to do that much better than the sciences do at school. So, so I think, and I, I'm a bit anti this idea of sort of, whilst I think skills and knowledge kind of work in partnership all the way through education, the idea that um, because we need some very skilled engineers in the future to to grow the economy um i don't think just teaching skills instead of teaching kind of fundamental knowledge is necessarily the answer to that that problem so that's top down so my proposal is my big concern is that we should have a much more bottom-up education system than a top-down one so we should stop worrying about how good people are at science at the age of 16, you know, or and, and whether they whether they understand fundamental science at 16. I just think it's fairly ridiculous because people are very much half-formed at 16 and some people are massively, you know, overdeveloped at 16 because their parents have spent years talking to them about this, that and the other and they've taken them to museums and galleries and they're, they're very culturally ingrained or, or they haven't had any of that insight outside school. And, and yet, you know, so I think I think judging people at 16 is a really stupid thing to do in the modern age. It probably wasn't stupid 100 years ago or 50 years ago even, but it's pretty daft now. Um, so 
my my concern is that so many people fall off the science bus as early as 14 because they go into this whatever you're asking me to learn about moles and and the structure of the atom sir and 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 i don't actually understand you know i don't know anything about anything about healthy living or about climate crisis or i don't understand anything about life but yet you're trying to teach me this fundamental stuff i think spain have this right so spain in spain it's quite interesting that you can drop science at 14 um, but history is compulsory to six, compulsory to sixteen in Spain because of the you know the rich sort of culture and and history. And I think I think that's quite interesting. A lot of people then choose a science option in Spain, which is more about sort of the history of science or the ethics of science or the philosophy of science, which I think is useful for everybody to know a bit about. Whereas I don't think it's useful for everybody to know about covalent bonding in in organic molecules, right? So. So I think my proposal is that now, just the final part of my talk, the most important part of my talk, I'm going to say now, and then I'll stop talking about this, okay? So you need to imagine a graph. You need to imagine a, an x-axis, that's the horizontal axis, and on that axis is, is the kind of scientific literacy, cultural, ethical, environmental, health, and economic sort of understanding of science. So, so you know, Big issues in science, scientific literacy, how it applies to our lives, how it applies to society, not necessarily how it applies to becoming an engineer or a doctor in the future. So that's the x-axis, the horizontal axis. The y-axis is, is scientific knowledge and skills. So fundamental scientific knowledge, fundamental scientific skills as taught in the school curriculum is the y-axis. So what we have at the moment in our education system is that we we keep pushing people up the y-axis. So we teach a lot of scientific knowledge and the scientific skills, you know, scientific inquiry or, or data interpretation or whatever. We teach a lot of that, and that kind of ramps up. But then most people fall off the science bus at 14 or 16 or 18 or even 21, and they don't ever think about science again. And they fall off with quite a lot of fundamental scientific knowledge, if they've learned it, if they've done well in their GCSEs and maybe studied the science at A-level. But then they don't know much about scientific literacy and, and all that sort of stuff or, or the ethics of things. So my proposal is to flip it on its head and stop worrying about underpinning the engineers or the scientists of the future um, until 14. So you teach a much more sort of, you know, you, you teach, I suppose it's more cross-curricular really, so that, you know, once you've got your basic literacy and your numeracy through your primary years with some kind of big, exciting, investigative sort of stuff, you then, you then in, in key stage three, upper key stage two and upper and lower key stage three, you're kind of just teaching, um, so you really look deeply at the climate crisis and interact, in, you know, overlap it with the geography bit and the physics bit and the biology bit and the chemistry bit and the cultural history bit and, and really look at it and unpick at it. And don't worry about whether children fully understand every word they, they, they hear. You know, they, 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 can, they can acquire. And then when children get to about 14, instead, and so what happens is that means everyone 
whether they're super, super intelligent, you know, got high cat scores or low cat scores, everyone's been exposed to some cultural, ethical understanding of the big scientific-based issues in society and how they interact with things that are going to affect them so they can grow into functioning adults and functioning members of society. If they're of a scientific bent or a mathematical bent at 14 – then they can plough in and start learning the fundamental bits of physics, the fundamental bits of chemistry, the fundamental bits of biology that are going to underpin stuff. And so so everybody's got a really strong base understanding of things that are going to be useful to them to live a decent life and to be a functional adult member of society, all the ethics stuff that we've got, you know, around vaccines with COVID, around the climate crisis, uh, et cetera. These, these are huge, huge things. And I know that there are a lot of teachers out there, particularly secondary teachers, who sort of say, get really annoyed when they say, oh, we don't, you don't teach climate change about climate change in school. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We teach it in geography and we teach it in biology and we teach it in chemistry, we teach it in physics. But I think it's a really naive thing of the teaching profession that thinks that if we teach a bit of this in those subjects, whilst children are going through the mire of adolescence, that suddenly something happens aged 18 or 19, and they magically coalesce all this stuff and go, oh, yeah, I get it now. I really understand the importance and significance of this stuff. And so I think we need to put a much more effort into connecting stuff and exploring stuff and not worrying so much about all the, you know, oh, yeah, they can operate a Bunsen burner because it's really, really exciting and, and or they can understand um, the structure. So that's, that's, that's really what most talk is about, is a much more bottom-up approach, a more cultural approach to teaching science. And sounds, um, there's one final thing. Yeah, that's it, really. It, it sounds kind of old primary topic-based teaching, or is the IB a bit like that? Yeah. There, there are certain curriculums, I know um, some private schools go for them as well, where it's very topic-based, and I know that, um, oh, I can never think when I'm on the radio, there's a famous school that's done a very similar sort of across-the-board topic approach, approach um, to sort of the connectedness of subjects so yeah it makes sense i don't yeah. think anything you've said there is too crazy I or think so. um, controversial mm. and it actually sounds like a lot of schools do do similar things just we don't do it in the mainstream um here really do no, we? no i think that's like, right i think we, well we they've been too compartmentalized knowledge don't we we say yeah. just learn this bunch of facts and this um, bunch of facts we do compartmentalize knowledge and and i think I, I don't know, you know, I think it's it's just we're so rooted in our subjects. Now, you know, I I love that. I, I loved learning geography at school and learning history at school. But, you know, it's not really for me to say, but I think I'm quite a long way above average sort of intelligence. So so I can sort of absorb all that and embrace it. But but I just you know, I teach I teach a really broad range of abilities in my school. And and I think that, you know, if you're if you're you know, a super, super bright child in year five, you could actually teach them, you know, you can teach them GCSE science in year five, you can teach them GCSE maths, you can teach them GCSE anything, not, not, not to sit the exam in year five, but they can access it if they're, if they've got, if their cogs are whirring in a, in a certain way, and they've got their really strong sort of base literacy and numeracy skills, you could, and so I think, I think, but because we can do that for some children, from quite early on, we, we sort of 
do it to everybody and then we differentiate and scaffold for the for the children who are finding hard to access it but there have been okay, a couple Toby. of blogs and and tweets as tweets recently yes yeah i'm sorry it's just you have spoken for a long time about one question so we're going to have to miss an awful lot of them otherwise my other two guests are not going to get okay. a chance to really chat to me but i sure. do want to ask you a quick i mean you can maybe choose out of the things i haven't asked you about what you prefer to answer i had you know what you change in education what you thought of ofsted um advice for people entering the profession room 101 yeah. or an interest outside education i mean you can pick one of those if you like before the uh, new yeah, sure. otherwise I, it, won't, it won't be fair on the other two i'm afraid i understand that completely no i can't really talk with any much great authority about ofsted so we can skip that one um i do think well i think i can't really speak with any great authority about it but i i i, I get I think I'm with the tide on Twitter about it. Um, I, I think it's it's a bit too – We in every aspect of life, we spend too much time showing we're doing a good job rather than just being trusted to do it. And I think that's in every aspect of modern life. So I think if you give a list of criteria, whatever the framework is, people will work to that framework, whether it's actually making – the education of children better is is I'm not sure. It's just showing that you're making the children education better. Is it better? I don't know. So that's my general comment on on all inspection frameworks for in all industries and all all sort of public services. To be honest, um, I think the other one uh, that you asked me, yes, the question was about. Hang on, number. Um, I'm not really authority I've, on you know what advice I could give to teachers. I think my interests have. outside think- of. Yeah, my interests are outside. Say- I'm, I'm getting. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi. Sorry, I thought I'd lost you then. <laughs> I haven't lost you, Toby. I'm still here. Yeah, what, what I'm did still you here. want no, to talk about? So, I, think, I think I'd just like to say, I suppose the one thing I wanted to perhaps say is that, and it's, I've mentioned this, alluded to this, is that one of the things I'd change in education is I think I don't like the overnight um, flip cliff edge at at 11. I think having a generalist teacher who's brilliant and wonderful, who teaches everything in one room pretty much um, until 11, and then loads and loads of different teachers who's, who are very focused on their subjects and particularly focused on their, their GCSE accountability, um, you know, flipping it overnight, I just think there should be a little bit more specialism at the upper stage of primary, maybe by sharing out expertise across schools. Um, I think there should be a little bit more generalism um, in key stage three. And so it's a bit more of a phase transition. If there were middle schools, if they existed nationally, and I know there are some lovely teachers on Twitter who are big fans of middle schools and work in them. Um, and so I would work in a middle school if they existed. I wouldn't be working in the independent sector because I just think that that 9 to 13 age range is where it's at for me. Um, finally, then, other question answers. Can I do room 101? You could do room 101, Toby, yeah. <laughs> can I do room 101? I mean, I've got a yes, never-ending can, list, yeah. really. Um, but I think, I think we'll start with one. We'll start with one that Tabitha Tabitha has been speaking about today, um, on Twitter today. Where are my room one hundred ones? I found lost them. I've written them down. First one is acronyms. Acronyms. I absolutely hate acronyms. Um, I hate oh, the fact annoying. that we call yeah. what one of the most important lessons in primary school. We call it PSHE. What 
the hell? Why can't we give it a proper name? I don't know what you call it. Life skills, citizenship, whatever. But but give it a name. Don't give it an acronym. Um, I hate the fact that the teaching profession, as far as I can tell, is the only one that uses the term CPD permanently. And I know that uh, CPD is really important, but and SLT annoys me. <laughs> SLT. Oh, it's all about SLT. I mean, you know, senior leadership team in, in a school which has got about 20 teachers. I mean, the senior leadership team maybe has some importance in a massive conglomerate of schools or, or a huge multinational. But it's just, it's just the school leaders or the, the managers, isn't it? Let's, let's not SLT everything. STEM's annoying. MFL, VCOP, P, whatever, all these acronyms just annoy the hell out of me. They can go. Um, I think another thing that annoys me quite a lot is misappropriate research. So I think the whole, the growing research in schools and research um, ed movement, I think is predominantly a good thing, predominantly a good thing. And I think the idea of a research lead in schools is really, really good. But we tend, we've got a terrible habit of misappropriating research and education. You know, we jump on the next big thing. There's a book that I've got to read about this. It's just come out, hasn't it? Becky Allen and um, Matthew Evans and someone Walden um, on, on the sort of next educational fad. But I think we, we, we pick up on something and then we end up criticising. Some people on Twitter, edgy Twitter, criticise the original research, which wasn't necessarily flawed or wrong. It was just done with about 10 people in one school in a state in America or something. And suddenly um, it becomes this big, big thing um, that applies to everybody. So I think, I think I'm quite sceptical about our, our sort of never-ending initiatives bolted onto initiatives in education. I also would like to get rid of any Disney-themed assemblies, particularly in schools that are secular. You know, um, if you're if you're in a secular school um, and you don't do religion, um, don't make Disney your religion, please, because Disney is not a religion. Um, so that's that's something I'd like to... I've never seen a Disney-themed assembly. What are you talking about? What, a Disney-themed assembly... Describe one to me. Well, just just um, if this is one particular thing. It might might bear a relation to my former head. Might we call them headmasters in yeah, in my I think posh maybe world? This is a pet former hate head from your from your life. I've never it's heard a pet of hate Disney from my school. Piece. Yes, <laughs> I've never heard of a Disney yeah, theme. No, assembly. good point. Just well, just what, using what, a moral a moral from a. It was, I was just I don't know. It's talking about a moral from a you know a moral from a Disney film. You know, really that using that as the the basis for some moral teaching, I suppose. Um, okay, I mean, I, that's, I'm gonna, that's I'm probably gonna enough, isn't mind. it? I'm going to arrest your mind that that doesn't happen in many, in many schools. I think it is, Toby. You definitely need your own show. I'm sorry to cut you off because I know you probably could have talked for another hour and a half, and you were fascinating to listen. I could to, talk for three it, days. I'm not going to put the news on. I'm only going to put on an advert and then I'll be right back with um, Caroline. Okay, Toby, thanks very much. Bye. Thank you. Need support with phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hi, um, 
Caroline, are you there? Hello. Oh, no, hang on a minute. I've put the wrong person off of mute. Hello, Caroline, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Sorry, I put um, my next call on. I'm sorry that you were a bit late. I, I, I hate cutting people off um, when they're on on a flow. So we're a little bit late starting, but I only put an advert on rather than the five-minute news. How are you this afternoon? I'm good, thank you, Jane. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, have you got a, a cocktail to hand? Have I got a cocktail? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's really funny about my cocktail is I've only just thought about it and um, I suppose it describes me really well as in to say oh, normally when I go out and have a cocktail I like a dark and stormy so I like a dark yeah, and I like stormy those. cocktail I like those I love them but regards to education and the work that I do I like to think that I'm light and positive so that's my cocktail Light and positive. I like to be very positive in the classroom, positive around the people that I speak to, the children, and I I like to be light humoured. So yeah. What light what alcohol positive. what alcohol would you put in it or would you not, not put any alcohol in it? What it's alcohol would be I put a, in it? It's gonna be a theoretical cocktail. That's okay. fine if you want um, it to be. <laughs> that's fine. I'm a, I'm a bit spicy naturally, so it would have to be um the tiki. I don't know if you've had the uh, oh. Captain Morgan tiki. Oh, really rum. Nice. Tiki. Yeah, I like, I like rum. Yeah, rum. Yeah, yep, yep. Rum and lemonade. So a tiki with lemonade. Oh, nice. So not too dark. Very nice and light. Quite, it's quite refreshing, actually. Have you actually had rum and lemonade? Does that work? Yeah, the tiki one. The tiki Captain Morgan. Because you know you have the Captain Morgan, the spiced rum? Yeah. Well, they do and a brand just... of tiki. That has lemonade in it already? No, you put lemonade in it. Oh, you put lemonade in it. Oh, I'll try that. Because oh, I, I always do Coke with rum. Because dark... Yeah, yeah, spice... ordinarily I would. Especially the dark rums. Definitely, but you want yeah. to be light light rather than dark and stormy as a teacher. Fair enough. Yeah, I got yeah. that. Yeah, I don't oh. think the children resonate with my dark side. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some days. Some days you have to be, don't you? Some days you have to be. Don't get it wrong now. Like <laughs> I always say, don't get it twisted. There are times when I need to get dark. <laughs> all right so um I'm gonna ask you now what drew you into teaching um if you don't mind telling me a little um, bit about that no and, not at all and your, your career and so far um what drew me into teaching was I would have to say when I had my um first daughter I have three 24 years ago I thoroughly enjoyed teaching her the things that she needed to know especially leading up to going to nursery so I enjoyed going out shopping and reading the numbers on the buses and I taught her the numbers that way and then going through the alphabet and actually getting her to do phonics because my parents who came from the Caribbean were very um, big on how we spoke and how we used the phonics so I passed that on and I think it was in teaching her I was like I, I'm sure I could do this in the classroom mm. so what eventually happened was she went to nursery and I volunteered in the school to do a reading program that they had. So I was in, I believe they had put me in year one at the time. And yeah, I was helping children, EAL children. And that term EAL wasn't around then to read using their phonics. And that grew and it grew. And then over time, um, I was asked to join the school 
part-time. So I was in nursery part-time doing even more teaching with regards to the phonic training. And then a year or so later, I was asked to stay in the school. Um, and that was down to a lot of the work that I had done in the EAL section of the school. Um, since then, I've gone from teacher assistant, HLTA, teaching even more in the classrooms now. And it's been a gradual process where... Yeah, a lot of people come to it that way, especially people who have children um, and then get involved with their school that way. Mm. I, I've got, I know a, a number of really great teachers who started off um, volunteering and then becoming TAs and HRTAs and eventually having their own classes. Um, I think it's a good way to come in. You know, you you learn, you know, an awful lot when you're you're not actually got the full responsibility. You can see how other teachers operate, can't you, in a way that you don't exactly. Get. And that development for me helped me to grow as well. <clears throat> um, and I often think that as HLTAs and teacher assistants, who a lot of the time are not given the credit that they should be given, they build such great relationships with the children. And I, even up to this day, I can't understand why teachers are so detached from the children and teacher assistants and HLTAs aren't. But I do think that's down to the fact that they have smaller groups in the class and the teacher has to overlook 30 children and is not always able to build that bond with them. So I think for me, it was being able to build a bond as a teacher assistant in a HLTA first with the children in order to get to know them. And then you carry that through into your actual teaching of a whole class. Yeah, you've definitely hit on something there and um, the relationships that TAs and HLTAs form with the, the children are often um, much deeper and more knowledgeable and they tend to know the parents better. Um, I mean, hopefully not, not with me. I do try and build those relationships, but sometimes you can't when you've got the thirsty to think about and all the other pressures. Um, having those small groups does enable the, the relationships to get better, but it's important to have um, good relationships with all the children, know them really, really well. And also, I used to go to my TAs and say, um, what's going on with such and such if I didn't know? Because I knew they would know. <laughs> I knew they would know. Yeah, no, see, and that's really good. Yeah, that's really what's good going, because they're... What's going on with them? Because they, they, exactly. they look moody and there's, there's something's yep. happening in the playground. Yep. Um, yep. And they'd always know. They'd fallen out. And that's with how you stuff. build the relationship with the support staff in your mm. class. Yeah. a lot of teachers too, and I've come across some teachers who are very detached from the relationship they have with their support staff. And I think it, the term support staff is there for a reason. We are there to support the teachers in the children's learning and the relationship of the whole classroom. Yeah, I mean, I've um, worked in schools where there's a real divide between um, TAs yeah. and support staff and teachers. And, and in other schools, my present one included, where there's no divide you know like that we we really just work as one team all our social events are you know everybody's involved there's there's no um hierarchy in that way and it's much better the second way See, I love that I love that yeah there, well there, there shouldn't be if you think about it you have to be able to um your your TA's there as another adult in the class who you need exactly. to be able to trust and they they're also educating those children um often in different ways just as importantly as you are you might be doing the content but they're pastorally vital which exactly. I think you know, they what are. You said. no they really are 
So yeah, okay. that was my journey. Yeah, that's great. Okay, let's move on to um, – uh, have you got ambitions for the future? We didn't really uh, – I didn't speak to Toby about um, that. I don't, don't think I needed to give him any more ammunition for answering questions. <laughs> My ambitions for the future, I'm quite okay where I am. I don't um, – because I've got other things going on outside of the school, outside of the education system, I'm quite content to be where I am. I don't want to – I'm not uh, SLT using the acronym I'm mm. not ready for that type of work I mean I'm a lead in the um, performing arts department in our school so that's enough I like to think that I can only do as much as I can and do it well if I spread myself too thin it gets a bit crazy <laughs> yeah and I, I prefer to be able to focus on one thing at a time so not to say that I'm not ambitious in any way I am but I I kind of know where I want to place myself with regards to how my future looks. Yeah, very sensible. Perhaps this leads on quite nicely to your new voices talk, because I know that was about work-life yes, balance. Yes, it does. <laughs> support, supporting women uh, as as they choose their, their career path. So perhaps you could tell yeah, me a bit about that. It does. And I have to thank you again for allowing me to do that. Um, it was That's a huge tough. step because I had never really spoken to a room of adults before I'm just in front of children every day <laughs> um, and being able to share my experiences with regards to one being a woman and and I will emphasize this and being a woman of color the difficulties I've gone through with regards to my career journey mm. and um, getting to the point where I am now and recognizing the fact that um, and not getting on the whole color thing too much but that uh, I shouldn't allow my colour to um, define who I am, basically. So in doing the New Voices talk, which was so great, I was explaining how I've been able to overcome certain challenges in my life where it had stopped me previously from being ambitious. Mm. Um, and a lot of that, I will say, Jane, was down to the fact that I was not able to get the opportunities that my white counterparts had. So mm. I'd seen people overstep me over the years and um, and especially in the education system, you really wouldn't expect that to happen. No. Whereas so when did I started it beat at you down a bit. Yeah, did it beat you down a bit? Were you saying that those experiences stopped you maybe going for promotions or? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And in my new voices talk, I explained that. And it was this, something for me, which I thought was really straightforward and simple, became uh, uh, a journey filled with obstacles. I had wanted, as I said, I had wanted to become a HLTA from the TA status because I'd already started covering lessons and I just wanted to have that qualification mm -hmm. to have a, deep, a, a deeper understanding of teaching. And that journey for me started 10 years ago when two heads said to me, nope, we don't need any HLTAs in the school. I don't think you're right for this. But during that time, a colleague of mine had been put forward for the role, put forward for the training and didn't actually want to do it. Gosh. So it happened that that colleague was a, a white lady hmm. Um and even when I went back, I said, okay, so great. We've got one in the school. So I thought the door was then open to me to do that. And no, 
it firmly closed and no caroline no you're not doing it no, we don't need any one is enough yeah and i think at that time it was okay fine but i still enjoy the job that i'm doing so i stayed a ta for about another five years mm. um until uh a head teacher came into the school five years ago five six years ago and because I saw in her what I saw in me, she was a black lady, very strong. I thought to myself, Do you know what, Caroline, go for it again. Now, this is like 10 years later, and I'm still a teacher assistant. I'm like, okay, fine, let's do it. And she started in the February. I probably asked her a week after she has started. And by the October, I was a qualified health child TA. Mm, that's great. And that as in to say, well, what did they not see in me before? Was it was it really that simple? Was it really just a case of colour? And for me in the education system, it should never be because we're teaching children of all different races, backgrounds. Um, mm. And for the, I think the staff in the school should reflect those children in the school as well. Yeah, they definitely should. I, I mean, we've got um, we've got quite a lot of representation. We're in a Catholic school, so and so um, am I. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you are. You're St. Anthony's, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, all the Catholic schools know each other in London. So um, that that's positive in the end, but obviously not a great start on your career in teaching. It, it wasn't, but what it didn't do was stop me from wanting to do what I enjoy, and I do enjoy teaching, and that was some, one of the things that I pointed out in the New Voices talk. I do enjoy it. Um, it, it, it's not a um it certainly isn't a nine to five job the amount of work I bring home whether yeah. it's physical or mental it stays with you yeah it um, does yeah it really does okay should we move on then to uh, maybe yeah, cool. one thing one thing you change I mean obviously um if you've encountered um prejudice in your in your career that would be something you'd obviously want to change but are there other things that you think if you had a, a magic wand and you could go, um, this needs to go, you, you'd change? Um, no, you're definitely right with the race thing, how we're viewed as adults, how the children are viewed with regards to their different backgrounds is very important. So that's something that I think needs to be reflected in the education system. If I had a magic wand, I suppose it would be for everyone, adults, to see the children for who they are. I've come across some adults who don't, and I often wonder why are you in this job if you're not going to embrace them, embrace the children for who they are and show them that they have potential in what they can do. Um, how we speak to the children is very important. So I would say if I had a magic wand, it would be how we communicate with children, how we, um, remember like I said to you, my cocktail, light mm. and positive. There are yeah. times when we really need to dig deep, despite the fact that this child could be a real pain. We don't need to let them know that they are. <laughs> no, you're right. It's always <laughs> it's always the ones that are hardest to love that need it the most, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, okay, so it let's be how we communicate. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to maybe some advice for people. I, you you didn't have the easiest ride getting into to the job you wanted to be in. So, have you got any advice and perhaps stuff you said in your in your talk? You want to? Um, any advice would be to. 
I would say from in my talk, it was a case of just to believe in yourself. If you're going into the education system, know why you're going in and what you want to do once you're in there. What are the changes you want to see? So we've got the world as it is and the world how we want to see it. So how is your contribution to the education system going to make a difference in the lives of those children that you're going to teach? I think that's um, great advice. I often think that you have to be able to see where you want these children to go or where you want them to be at by the time they leave you. By the time they've left, where do you want them to be? And it's not always about the statistics and the stats results and the, the levels, the, the pigeonholing. You need to be able to see the child as a whole. Um, That's great advice. And, you know, hang on to, to, to why you're going in there and, yeah. and stay true to that. Yeah, Stay true to it. Definitely. Definitely stay true to it. Okay. Now I saw you um you host co-hosted the the Living Wage Week because <laughs> one of my questions was the biggest interest outside education and you do a lot of of activism, don't you? I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about that before um before I yeah. ask one Um yeah. So I am part-time as well as uh teaching. This is why I say yeah, having those activities outside of work help a lot. I am an associate community organiser for Citizens UK, who are a charity who fights for different issues across the UK. And one of the main ones is the living wage. Uh, our school are at the forefront of that in Newham at the moment, and we've become accredited as a school, as a Newham way, as a living wage employer. But yeah, I thoroughly enjoy being able to give the ordinary person a voice. And that stems from the fact that growing up, I would vote for MPs and the prime ministers. So we've all got a vote, but then we have our vote, we cast our vote and then that's it. Mm. Uh, who, what's going on? <laughs> what happens <laughs> next? So with the community organizing, it's the case that I can go out into the community and speak to ordinary people to find out what is bothering you, what is harming you and your family. And we found in our community, it is the case of low pay, low pay, mm. low wages. So we organize and we listen to the communities and we come together and work alongside institutions. So say, for example, Tate and Lyle and London City Airport are two campaigns that our school has won for them to pay their employees the living wage, which is That's now, fantastic. Khan announced it at the at the event that I co-hosted, which is now eleven pound five pence an hour, mm. that's that's but great. Doing yeah. that work, yeah. So yeah, that's my outside interest. Um, Must yeah, be really satisfying, yeah. And it looked like fun. I, I saw the pictures. It looked like you had a it. It is fun. fun. Our children, we've we've taken a different route into activism and used the singing, dancing that we mm. do at St Anthony's from the performing arts department to convey the messages of low pay. So, yeah, yeah, we've taken a different way of doing it. That, that's great. Okay. Um, have you got something for Room 101 for me? Something you hate? Something I hate? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you I mean, you're I a very hate. positive person by the sound of yeah, things. Yeah, I know. It's very difficult. You know, something I, I have, hate. I've had beetroot in there and earwigs and stuff. So, you know, it can just be a, a non Oh, yeah, I can't stand thing. beetroot. <laughs> uh, 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 that doesn't so do anything like for me I have to say um, <laughs> do you know what things that I hate 
I would say, and it's funny, and I don't mean to do it. Yeah, negativity, negative. I can't mm. stand it. It's it's drain sapping. I don't like things that sap my energy. Mm. Um, yeah, people uh, who, when you ask them how they're doing, then spend ten minutes telling you how they're not doing how very not well. Doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, exactly. it is a bit of a sap on your energy isn't it yeah no, yeah, it, is. Can, it really that, is that can get in the sea yeah um okay I'm sorry we didn't have quite as long I, I don't know if I can overrun today I think Tom's still listening because um I'm not very good at timekeeping people when they talk that's for long okay time. are you are you all right to go there's nothing that I haven't asked you that you were dying to say is there no, do you know what? I had looked at these questions and was wondering how am I going to answer them? And I'm the type of person that when the question comes, Caroline, just answer it. So if I overlook it too much, then, but no, this has been really nice and calm. A lovely way yeah. to spend my Saturday afternoon. So thank you for asking me. Thank you and so thanks much. For, thanks for coming on. And um, yeah, if I do another New Voices, I hope you come back. Uh, I say if. Oh, I'd I'm love to. I'm, I'd love I'm, to. That has really helped me to grow doing that, I have to say. We could do really a good. panel. I did do a panel once with people from before. We didn't do it this year, but maybe we could have you on a panel because uh, it's lovely to talk to you and your outside interests are really interesting too. All right, then. One other thing, Jane, really, really yeah, quickly sure. before go. I go. Do you I know what go. would be really good? Um, yes. To be able to focus on support staff. I know we do the whole teachers thing, but I'm trying to get yeah. events or make plans for It'd be great to hear from teacher assistants in HLTAs and other support staff. I think they need to be included in some kind of conversation. So it's just something to think about, really. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think um, that they're, they're not, they haven't got much of a voice at all. And yet, no, there isn't much. They, and they are a huge part of our education system. They're very underpaid and, um, yep. and very undervalued. So I'm, I'm exactly. with you there. I'm absolutely exactly. with you. All okay, right, well, thank you. Lovely to talk to you. Okay, You too, Jane. Take care. Bye. Uh, I'm going to go straight to Rob because um, otherwise we're not going to get a chance. Are you still there? Uh, I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. <laughs> right, Crystal hello. Crystal clear. Nice <laughs> to hear your voice and thanks for waiting for so long. Um, no, it's, 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 the, been, it's been great, actually. It's really interesting listening to, to everybody. So, yeah, thank you. To the very end. Oh, where's your accent from? I didn't. Sometimes you don't know where people are from on Twitter, do you? Oh, uh, Yorkshire. Yorkshire. West, uh, West, West Yorkshire, the, the jewel in the crown of Yorkshire. What's West um, Yorkshire? What's the big city there? Uh, Leeds is the big city. I'm, I'm from Wakefield, oh. which is it's kind of like Leeds without all the stuff. No, that's, that's really mean on Wakefield. I, my ex husband's from Leeds, so um, maybe that's where I recognised it from. Okay, so ah, let's go. Let's get on to cocktails. Uh, have you got a cocktail for me? You said you were going to drink one. What are you drinking? Yeah, it's, it's gone. I've, I've, I'm feeling great at the moment. Um, now I've, I've just <laughs> finished a gin martini. Um, I'm, uh, I'm not a massive cocktail drinker, but I like gin. And, uh, and I did think about the analogy to education. It's not going to be as good as Toby's, unfortunately. But um, I didn't know that you had this criteria about uh, ingredients. Um, I, don't, so I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm sure I said it because he said I said it, but I don't know what I say half the time on these shows. <laughs> I mean, thinking about it, if it's just two ingredients, it isn't really a cocktail, is it? It's a, it's a mixer. It's a spirit with a mixer. Anyway, go on. What, what's your cocktail? Well, this is awkward. Um, it's a, <laughs> <'cause there's> a <laughs> Well, uh, with... With the gin martini, there is only two ingredients. Uh, so it's just it's just gin and vermouth. Um, and but um, I obviously I, I add a bit of olive brine in, so we can give that a third if you want. Um, and the whole thing right. is, I think 
to, if you look at the ingredients, it, it seems very straightforward and very simple, but there's a, there's a skill to making a martini. Um, you know, and one of them is patience. And I think you know, there's still a lot of people who think that teaching is quite straightforward uh, and there's a lot more to it. Uh, and there's a lot more to making a martini than just putting, putting gin and vermouth together. You know, you've got to stir it over ice and keep coming back to it and stuff like that. So I just, I felt that was, that was my analogy. That there's, there's a lot more to a martini than meets the eye and there's a lot more to teaching, uh, I think, than, than meets the eye. I have a feeling Ruth Lusmore, my friend Ruth, said something similar and had a similar drink. But I'll have to listen back to that show and see if she said, she definitely said there was a lot to making a martini. I don't ever have martinis apart from if I go to dirty martinis and everything you have there is martini. Um, right. Okay. Oh, they're, they're, they're great, they're great. Yeah, I... I I don't know. I'm I'm a whiskey whiskey cocktail, rum cocktail. I normally go for, or I do quite like a Moscow Mule. Um, but I'm always trying different cocktails because I, I I don't know. I just like them. I like they're pretty. They're aesthetically pleasing to look at. Yeah, and fair enough. And you never know what you're going to get. And they're very strong often if you pick the right ones. So they're they're yeah. a good they're a good drink. But I've realised since doing this show, most people come on and go. I'm not really into cocktails. So nearly every, <laughs> every interview starts with, um, "Well, I don't normally drink cocktails, but just for you, Jane." Uh, right. Let's <laughs> let's let's move on. Uh, what drew you into teaching, Rob? Um, and yeah. uh, if you've got ambitions, you're obviously doing this uh, vocational leadership thing. Do you want to be ahead? No, 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 absolutely not. No, this. I think um, I'm really happy where I am at the moment. Um, to kind of give the the, the journey, I, I start um, I was really rubbish at uni, basically. I, I got a third after resets. Um, and um, oh, I, got, I moved you. down to London. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we I always moved... used to say that was a, a, a Desmond. I've got a Desi. That's what we used to call them, a tutu. Yeah, but if yeah you I, got got a Douglas, third, I got a Douglas. Yeah. Is it called a Douglas? <laughs> yeah, Douglas. I got a Douglas. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, my parents, are, they're now talking to me again, which is good. Um, but um, And I think I was just, I just a bit, I think, in hindsight, I was a bit lost. I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, we, we were that generation where everybody went to university. You know, this was kind of 1998. Mm. So everybody went. I did history because it was the subject I liked the most at school. Um, and then um, moved down to London, got a job in logistics. Again, didn't really like it, but, but didn't hate it. And then we got, got made redundant. And I'd been thinking about teaching a bit. And do you remember there was a TV show called The Unteachables? Um, I don't know if it was, yeah. It was years yeah, was ago. it wasn't it Jamie Oliver? No, <laughs> no, he 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 did like a different version of it where it had like David Starkey on it, I think. But um, oh, one, that was I remember, hilarious. Yeah, that was and, terrible. And it was terrible. He called yeah. a child fat, didn't he? That, I mean, yeah, it was dreadful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is you know, yeah. Um, and um, but it had Phil Beadle on it, and um, and I watched him, and I was like, this guy's amazing. Um, I've met I Phil. Started, he'd like he'd like that. He'd like to be called amazing. There you go. I've got his book. Here. I had a book. His book in my classroom was called How to Teach, and the kid was like, "Mr. Crossley, what's that book?" I was like, "Oh yes, yeah, no, no, don't worry about that. It's not, not the best one to have on display." Um, and, uh, and then I think I'd started to think about it more. And a friend of my sister's was a primary school teacher, and I was going to um, I was going to be a secondary history teacher because I liked history. Um, and I went to volunteer within a week at this primary school. I was like, "Oh, it's it's primary all the way," um, and I it's stayed much there for more fun. Oh, it's, much, I, I absolutely loved it. Much um, more fun, yeah. I think it helped as well that this was the school at the time that one of the Blair kids went to. So I went to Downing Street on a, on a school trip. So I was like, wow, this is brilliant. Um, and then uh, I 
started as a TA in Tottenham um, and then did the GTP there. Um, uh, then moved to Mayfair, which was slightly different to Tottenham. Yeah, um, I said that. I mean, in your intro, I don't know if you caught it. I said that's a diverse neighbourhood. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. Yeah, and, and, and I, lo- I loved them both. But when I moved back up, we moved back up north about seven years, six, seven years ago, and I and I actively sought out the more kind of Tottenham community area that that, that I wanted to teach in, mm. and and here I am now. Uh, it's my second year as an AH assistant head. Well, I nearly did an acronym then, uh, and you know, last year was was just bonkers. Um, you know, it was, you know, I think it was tough for everybody. The, the reason why I don't want to be a head teacher is like just making all those decisions on the spot. I can't do it. My brain doesn't quite work that way. Um, so I'm doing the MPQ, what's it called? MPQSL now. And I've only just started, but I, I'm really enjoying it. But um, what does it teach you? I mean, I've been, I, this is what I don't get about these qualifications to be heads and deputies, because you could be in a head and a de- deputy without it. And I've been on senior leadership for years and years and years, and I've never done a qualification. I mean, I'm probably just a rubbish senior leader, actually. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> I <haven't>, not. <laughs> I haven't got, well, you know, I don't do much leading. I, I do. I mean, I do what you have to do, but I'm not like, Yeah. I, I don't know what, what's leading all about, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, I was just like doing, being a good teacher and helping people yeah. out and writing the policies and doing the, the bare minimum monitoring that you actually have to do. That's kind of what I feel like being yeah. a leader. No, no, I, 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 I agree. I think I think one of the things about it is that, that they're they're a lot more funded this year. So, so um, our older ones, if, if you're, I think if you have a certain level of um, pupil premium children, you can do all these NPQ whatevers, and they'll all be paid for. So I think that's been a bit of a change. Um, and I think my, my head teacher just suggested, you know, because uh, she'd done it and the deputy had done it and really enjoyed them and um, and they kind of suggested it to me. And I was like, yeah, okay, because I, I did struggle last year. So mm. I, I was kind of seeing it as anything that's going to make me a bit better at my job. Um, so, yeah, that's where that's where we are. But there'll never be a headship. Uh, no way. You never know. Don't Never say never. Okay, mm. what would you change... What would you change in education, Bob, if you had a magic wand? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the obvious one's money, but that, that seems too easy to say that. Um, I'm going to echo what Toby said in the the primary, middle, high school thing. That's what that's what I did. Um, and is it it's up to nine, isn't it? So it's uh, it's up to year four, and then you do year five to year nine at um, at middle school, and then the nine, ten, eleven. So no, no, five, five to eight middle school, and then it's nine, ten, eleven at high school. I think that's a you know, I loved that system of it and it just seems such a massive jump at the moment for these kids at 11 um you know other countries do it other countries do i mean it's scuola media in italy medium school or media middle school yeah they do they do it in other countries like it's much more common i don't know recently whether it's changed but i know it certainly did used to have uh that system in other countries, Italy. I think, yeah, I, I just feel that, you know, I, I don't know how it would work in terms of key stages, but there'd be um, the opportunity for the collaboration between primary and secondary, I think would be quite exciting because, uh, mm. you know, I think, you know, you go on Twitter, there's, there's not enough of that sometimes. Um, and um, Well, I yeah, think I it's ignorance. Think... I think it's ignorance on, on um, both parts, probably. But I think yeah. that the primary are educated a bit more in what secondary do out but just because there's so much more information on Twitter about what's going on in secondary. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of the policies are dictated by secondary schools. And I think that the yeah. inspection, the inspection framework is sort of more geared towards secondaries, isn't it now? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, so, I, I, how, how can you have the same inspection framework for a primary and secondary school? I don't get it. Oh, no, but we'll I come don't. on to that in a moment. But um, yeah, I, I just think there's we're losing too many kids at the end of primary school in terms, I think, I think that's a lot to do with the curriculum anyway and, and stuff like that. Um, but I just also think... Also, behaviourally, there are children who we, we look after in primary schools. We, they are included in mainstream school, but they have a lot of support. And you kind of know that when they get to secondary school, they're going to get lost, they're going to get expelled, they're yeah. going to get excluded in their first week. They're just not going to survive. And that, yeah. so that's a problem isn't it you know yeah, and and th these are not children who need to necessarily go to specialist provision they're just children who won't have the support they need like um for various reasons for money for the fact that the school's really big and they just don't have the time or the the adults to to facilitate the support they need yeah yeah you know and and you know it's, it's that age old thing. It's the big big fish in a small pond going to the biggest pond and being the smallest fish and you know I I never experienced that and no. I think it's a lot. It's a lot to it's a lot to take on when you're 11. I think there's other ways of doing it. So yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I went to a kind of. I went to a weird thing. I went to a school that separated their upper school and their lower school. So I went to my first year of secondary school. It was called first year of secondary school. Then not year seven. Um, was like there was only the the first and second years in one building, and then we went up when we were in our third year. So I sort right, of had a middle okay. school. Yeah, it was just like okay. a little building on its own. Okay, what were we going to talk about next? Ofsted, did you want to talk about Ofsted next? Yeah, I can't, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not on about abolishing them or anything like that, but I don't get, in this day and age, with the, the expectations that come with an, ins with an ins inspection, the kind of, all the data and the evidence that we have to produce them over a sustained period of time, why are we still having no notice inspections? I don't understand it. And I think if they were, you know, if they were genuinely coming at this from a, a place of, you know, school improvement, they'd realise that the pressure that would take off a lot of people, I, I, I think would be a bit of a game changer. I think it's, I think it's a really small gesture on their behalf that they could do. It doesn't, it doesn't make any difference to them, I don't think. But I think well, I mean, I, thought I was around when we had a lot of, in, a lot of, time to prepare and it was hideous because you would have entire weeks this was when Ofsted were in for an entire week and you'd almost rehearse every single lesson that week right. before they came in I mean that's probably yeah. why they changed it I'm for absolutely no notice inspections I'm going to disagree with you here I don't think you should even get a phone call the day before I think it should just pitch <laughs> up on your doorstep and that would stop um well, I don't know. I think a lot of the performance lessons have gone because there's there's less um, notice now than there was. But I think yeah. there should be absolutely none. And I really just wish Ofsted would see schools exactly as they are. They don't. There's still too much performative rubbish that goes on. We're still sticking stuff in books for Ofsted. You know, what are we sticking a photo of something in for? You know, what? For, who's it for? The parents don't even get to keep the books at the end of the year anymore because we have to keep <laughs> it for evidence for Ofsted. I mean, the amount of times you you trawl through your, your iPad, which has gone out of charge to print off a, a photo of something the kids, yeah. you know, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, I, I hate I, all that performative things. I, I agree with that to a certain extent, but I don't. You know, they, they don't. They're not going to come in and see lessons. You know, really, they, they're going to. They're going to. They're going to look at books. Books, that kind of that trying. Yeah, yeah, but I, I just. That's what I'm talking about. So you're printing off all these silly photos for them. 
yeah instead of te- I, I, instead of teaching or preparing your lessons yeah i i, I just I, I just think the, the what they expect from us and you know you, you look at like the deep dive questions and things like that this isn't stuff that you can I don't think it's stuff that you can switch on. It's stuff you've got to do over a, a long period of time. Yeah, but I'm, saying, I, I, I'm with you on the formative side of it. Their, their but, expectations but, are ridiculous of schools, yeah. especially at primary schools. You know, all of this, um, the, the curriculum stuff that's come in. I, I predicted this, obviously. You know, it was it, it's not you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to know it was going to happen. The minute it focused back on curriculum, that everything, you know, when it wasn't just literacy and numeracy anymore, and it, it was like a broad yeah. and balanced curriculum again back from the 90s you know full circle but the, on top of that it had to be a knowledge rich, rich curriculum and then the, yeah. uh, the uprising of the knowledge organizer and everybody rewriting schemes of work and goodness knows what I mean the amount of wasted time I know Michael Merrick is with me on this the amount of wasted time on curriculum in primary schools they should have just written a national curriculum given us some textbooks and then let us do what we do best which is deliver it in a dynamic way and bespoke it to our communities Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, no, yeah. I, I completely agree with that. I think we, it's 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 very prescriptive in it's getting very prescriptive in what we and how we teach at the moment. That's that's my big kind of worry that um, that the people the people who come into the profession who who feel they've got something like their own unique kind of approaches to stuff and the way they are is going to get lost in there. You've got to do it this way. You've got to you've got to do maths this way. You've got to do English this way. You've got to question this way. And it's all getting very prescriptive. But that's a, a different point, I think. Sorry. No, well, it might be different, but it's equally valid. And I'm absolutely with you on that. I mean, I I detest the idea that, that you know, somebody is telling you how to teach a lesson, how to pace it, what questions to ask. I mean, that is not yeah. teaching. That's not teaching. It's, teaching yeah, is who I, you are and, and who those children are and that relationship. It's not, um, it's not a set of methods. It's not a toolkit. I think I'm, I'm gobsmacked by how many people just seem to think that one approach will, will work in every single school as well. It's like every school's different, you know. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, p- people are, you know, you've got to do it this way. But that, that might not work at my school. I, I don't know. It's, and it might not work with that personality. It might not work with that personality. I mean, you know, part of being a teacher is is who you are. Who you are as a person is is who you are as a teacher. And if who you are as a person is being ignored, if you're not bringing that into your teaching in some way, you're turning into this kind of weird robot-y teacher. Absolutely. And and there there are incarnations of this all over the world, you know, especially um, uh, the charter um, movement in America that wanted to create Teachers in Five Weeks with, uh, what was it called, Teach for America? It was Teach First over here. It wasn't as bad over here, but it was like, you know, there were scripts for everything, you know, and schools with scripts scripts and routines and, and, you know, like everything was written down for them basically i saw yeah did, was it, did you share a video about how the how, did. how the yeah. reception children were going to leave the dinner hall or something it was just oh, did, like, you didn't on. you didn't see you didn't see the original the original had that video that was a very tiny clip of it and then it had the first day with the four-year-olds so uh, these are this is in a in a um city um america these children are from very deprived backgrounds they're completely lost right there was there were people pulling their arms up you know, like, and um, it it was awful. You no, know, it was honestly, it was so bad. You've got to ask people who saw the original video. There was a reason they took it down. Anyway, let moving on from Ofsted and things that really get me het up to perhaps 
Let's talk about Harry Potter. I can't tweet oh. Harry Potter. I can't tweet Harry Potter because no end of stuff will come on my head if I say yes. anything neg- if I say anything negative about it. I detest Harry Potter and I have to hide my how much I detest Harry Potter from the children who love Harry Potter because when I'm teaching key stage two, I'm mean, it's all right now reception, it's not about Harry Potter anymore. But I, you know, when you when I had children who were obsessed with Harry Potter, I had to pretend I kind of liked it because it's I didn't want to put them off. But um yeah, yeah. can't stand it. Why do you love it? I know. Well, well, I didn't say I loved it. Um, I, well, in your I blog, know. you kind of did. I, I, I said I like it. But I think there's better okay. stuff out right. there. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, I love, I love cheap Harry Potter Lego. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, oh, Lego! No, I fun. just, I just get, I just get frustrated with like the whole like a kid becomes obsessed with Harry Potter, but they don't. It's not about the books or anything. It's just the whole kind of machine now. And there's, I think there's more interesting books out there. So, and, there you know, are. and this is, you know, I, I, I read, I read Harry Potter to my daughter far too early, but it, but there is, I, I do think there's a, a bit of a middle class kind of um, under underlying competition uh, about what stage of the Harry Potters your child is on. And um, there's a Stuart know. Lee video of him taking the mick out of Harry Potter. Um, and right. he says, why are you reading Harry Potter? You're an adult. And that just makes me, die um <laughs> you know there was, there was a time i mean there was one stage at university where we were all reading it was, um, there was a house of seven lads and we all read we were all reading the harry potter book that do you know what you're just say you're just that little bit younger than me i was a teacher when harry potter came out i remember seeing it in the in a bookshop window i, I was a very young teacher so um yeah. you're you're younger than me to have read it as a teenager i was like in my early 20s maybe mid 20s and it was you know i wasn't going to read it but then i did read it because it became a phenomenon almost overnight the first only the first book and what annoyed me so much about it was it was um Mallory Towers with a male wizard and uh Quidditch was basically lacrosse it was it was like she plagiarized um Enid Blyton and and made a male protagonist which in my feminist youth uh, a strident feminist in my early 20s really annoyed me it was a female writer who'd made a male protagonist and she'd ripped off Enid Blyton so that's where my my hate for it comes from yeah no I, I, I think and that's not a very good, point good writing well. not very good writing either I, I I I quite like the first book I think though when when you, you is it the fourth one and it's massive and you're kind of like oh hey up you know have you lost your way a bit here? Um, but um, that, that's the other thing is like, you know, the amount of girls who are reading Harry Potter, it's like, you, there's so many books out there that have got brilliant female lead characters in them. You yeah, know. read Northern Lights, read about uh, Lyra, yeah. you know, or, or uh, there's a myriad of other ones um, that they could uh, yeah, read. I've, I've just finished reading the, the latest Willow Moss, like the Starfell ones by Dominic Valente, and I've just finished reading it to my daughter, and we both love it, and it's like, she's better than Harry Potter. Anyway. Well, Catherine Rundle does great female protagonists. So does Eva Botson. Um, I don't yep. know if you've Journey to Riversea is one of my favourites. Um, gorgeous um, female protagonist in that really lovely right. sort of measured girl. She uh, becomes an right. orphan, obviously. They all become orphans, don't they? Ends up in the Amazon jungle um, with some dreadful cousins and uh, racist aunt and uncle, um, uh, but manages to. Um, find this yeah it's just great it's a great great book okay uh let's move on to maybe twitter should we talk about twitter yeah oh, absolutely a few, min- few minutes left what do you like it edgy twitter I, I, or? I absolutely love it i mean I've, I've had a handle for about 10 years i think but i only started to go on it about 18 months ago 
and really kind of engage with it. But I, I'm I'm mainly in the the kind of the reading community side of it, which is wonderfully positive. But I I do follow a few people who it's just it's compelling. I mean, it's there's just people who just wake up in the morning and go right. I'm start <laughs> what could I say? <laughs> I'm going to start an argument with somebody, and <laughs> yeah. and and it's you know kind of a message that you've got no control over how somebody reacts to it. You know, yeah. the amount of people who just don't really think about how that it could be, you know, how, how people are going to react to what they've said. It's amazing. And the fact that these a lot of these people are teachers, it blows my mind, but I absolutely love it. But there's yeah. a lot of good stuff comes out of it. But there's also, you know, you just grab, grab the popcorn and just sit back and watch it. It's, it's magnificent. Yeah, it's a soap opera, isn't it, at times? And like you say, you wonder, you wonder what people are thinking sometimes when they tweet certain things. I'm sure yeah. people have thought that about me from time to time, but I, I don't think I make quite so many outlandish claims as certain people, but, you know, there you go. The, the, the hot takes. I love, I love when everyone <laughs> writes hot takes, like, here we go. But um, I think there's there's a lot of out people trying to out jargon each other as well and it's like you know there's a few too many peacocks i think it's like do you, do you talk like this in real life because if you do i won't understand the word you're saying they definitely so, yeah. don't they definitely don't it's like <laughs> it's like people in their cars having a go at each other you know if they met if they met in a pub <laughs> they're, yeah. they're not going to be squaring up to no. such a, when you're in your car and you could drive off if they if they actually <laughs> say anything back to you um yeah i think it is a little bit like that and also, I quite like the idea that there are anonymous accounts and that infuriates people, yes. some people. In the early days, it really infuriated certain people that Andrew Old was anonymous. And they, I think it's called, it's doxing, isn't it? Where you say who a person is. Something like is. that, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know how you could dox him because he, came, he, he everybody knows who he is now anyway. But um, yeah, I mean. Oh, yeah, people, 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 people are desperate for everyone to know who he is. People were furious, you know, that he, he was, he was, tweeting and blogging from behind you know this they thought it was like this this uh clandestine you know like account where he was he was yeah. hiding maybe you just didn't like his photos who knows you know, i don't think he really was that worried um okay let's move on to uh, have you got any interest outside education you wanted to talk about briefly yeah this was this was like the hardest question i was like oh my god do i actually do anything um i do a radio show about teaching <laughs> yeah. I, I i i drive my kids to clubs um I, I like playing golf. Uh, I like gin. Uh, I like Star Wars. I am a geek. Um, I think yeah, you are. Good. You like Star Wars, yeah. 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 Well, you know, easy. Uh, I, I read a lot. There's nothing um, wrong like with being a geek. There's nothing wrong no, with no, being a not, geek. No, no, it's not. I do a club at school, and the kids, kids lovingly call it Geek Club. And I'm like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Nothing wrong. Some but, of the best people I know are geeks. Yeah, you know, I, I think... I think Self-confessed geeks. Yeah, I, th I think we've we felt empowered in the last kind of decade now of geeks, and we're we're, uh, we're a lot more proud of, of who we are, which is good. Well, um, there were there were shows like the IT Crowd, and what's the other one where they're just like you know, is it the IT Crowd? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that one. No, um, I'm thinking of the other one. one that Steve, there's one that Stephen Fry does. Uh, IQ is it IQI or something? Yeah, but I, yeah find, I find that a bit. I find that a bit too clever, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I don't. I, I don't think I'm clever. Right. Let, lastly, because we've overrun slightly. Um, yeah. Room one hundred and one. Put some stuff in there that you want to. Yeah. Get yeah, in the okay. seat. Uh, 
Uh, craft beer is the first one. Oh um, yeah, okay, I agree with you there. I went to I, the the um, what's it called Olympia Beer Festival thing, and every single beer I tried was disgusting. Yeah, that can go in the sea. Yeah, yeah, I I, I drink Guinness, and it's made it impossible pretty much to get a pint of Guinness on a night out uh, if I ever go out. I mean, I was I was at my friends once, and they were like, oh, "We've not got a Guinness, but we've got an Egyptian milk stout." It's like, what's <laughs> that? So I ordered it and they were like, how is it? And I was like, it's rubbish. Um, so yeah, it's no, that can go. Um, I put, I, I did put the, the first three and the latest three Star Wars films. So episodes one to three and seven to nine, they're awful. They, they, they're very well, disappointing. The, the originals? No, no, the originals have to stay, but the, it's, the, it's the prequels that they did. And then, and oh, then the yeah. new ones. Yeah, 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 they're, yeah, they're, they're awful. Really, they're really bad. Yeah, um, they're awful. And, I, 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 and I can't, decide whether the last one is either performance tables because i thought i'd have an education on performance tables or i've written down here original sin twitter spats <laughs> so i think <laughs> i think i think i'm going to put original sin twitter spats in there because somehow it's it's this it's, it's flared up again you um, love it really you love it really I, I, you've got your popcorn yeah do you know i think you know actually yeah i take it back it's performance tables i'm, I'm yeah, gonna keep gonna the original sin twitter spats yeah yeah we have to L- keep long, long may they carry on all right, well, it was, lo- it was lovely talking to you, Rob. Um, yeah, hopefully no, see you in person one day. Yeah, that, it's been great. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And, uh, yes, it's been fab. So, All yeah, right, cheers, have a nice- Enjoy your weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.